The property industry is the biggest direct contributor to GDP in Australia, which gives it huge sway when it comes to making society better and business better. One way the industry is doing that is by procuring business from Indigenous companies. Every dollar of revenue earned by these companies generates about four times that in social return within Indigenous communities. The commitment by corporates and the government to build on that is increasing massively, but the potential is still huge. I've got some great guests to talk about this, one being someone you may already know pretty well. host of JLL's Perspectives podcast. For this episode, I'm joined by three outstanding guests. We're all sitting in different buildings, but we are all in Sydney. And so I'd firstly like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land we're on, the Gadigal of the Eora Nation, and I pay my respects to elders both past and present. Now let me welcome our guests, Laura Berry, the Chief Executive of Supply Nation. Hi, Laura. Hi, Rebecca. Lovely to be here. And Mick O'Loughlin, the former Sydney Swans Aussie Rules footballer and managing director and co-founder of ARA Indigenous Services. Hello. Hey, guys. How are you? Great. And Robin Burton, senior supply chain diversity and sustainability specialist at JLL. Hi, Rebecca. Thanks for having us. Awesome. All right. Laura, tell us about Supply Nation and why it exists. Yeah, look, Supply Nation um, has been around for 11 years now, and we originally started back in 2009 off the back of a parliamentary inquiry into Indigenous economic development. The model that uh, that our council is based on is actually a model that has existed in the United States for just over 45 years now. Um, and that was about bringing underrepresented minority-owned businesses into mainstream corporate uh, America at the time and now Australia and into government agencies uh, to give those business owners the opportunity to compete for contracts essentially and this was you know these were marginalized groups who had not previously been able to um, access or even get a foot in the door to have those meetings to see whether they could sell their goods and services so we've been around now for 11 years and we've seen really substantial growth uh, over that time um, if you think back to uh, when we started we had about 13 indigenous businesses on our books in 2009 and about 32 uh, corporate and government members and if you fast forward to today, we have almost 2,800 Indigenous businesses on our national directory called Indigenous Business Direct, and we have uh, almost uh, 460 corporate and government members. So quite a, a huge amount of growth, and a lot of that has been driven by uh, the adoption of policies at the federal and state government levels, but also very largely driven by uh, the corporate sector as well. Thanks, Laura. And Mick, ARA Indigenous Services is your commercial cleaning business, but the group provides many other services as well. Uh, but tell us how it all came about. Yeah, look, um, thanks for having me. I think um, starting a business was always going to be a very, very big step for me. CMC was our original um, business when I went into business with my business partner. Then we merged with the ARA group. So we're now ARA Indigenous Services. And that journey has been an incredible one. Um, I'm the first owner in my, in my whole family, uh, business owner in my family. Um, I've come from a sporting background where I've learned a lot of really 
uh, humbling lessons along that journey. And uh, it's been an incredible one. So Mick, how do you transition from celebrated AFL footballer to business owner? Uh, as soon as I left the, the, AF, the AFL, the Swans, I started the Go Foundation with Adam Goods. And the Go Foundation is basically, um, you know, we, it was one of the things that Adam and I had done throughout our whole careers, going to Aboriginal communities, going to schools, going to hospitals, doing community visits. So the foundation was basically just taking it to another level and having some structure around it. So I sort of knew how that worked and, and I, it's something that, uh, you know, it's really close and near and dear to both Adam and, and my hearts that the, the foundation is still thriving. We've got over 500 kids in schools and we provide scholarships and, and help and mentoring. So that is just an incredible, um, being able to put that together. I'd never in my wildest dreams did I think I could do something like that. And Adam's in the same boat. Um, so the next plunge for me, I was running the, the Institute of Sport for the AFL and then left there and then was running the Sydney Swans um, Academy with about 570 kids and about 85 coaches around New South Wales. Um, I knew a, a very good friend of mine who owned a cleaning business and we just got talking and, and um, I basically said to him, you're going to mentor me and, and, and show me all about this business world. Um, because I guess the next step for me was becoming a head coach of an AFL team, which I did have, uh, and I won't lie, I had aspirations to do. Um, but I, I, I saw the stress that those guys went through uh, and still do these days. You see them on television, they're pulling their hair out. And, uh, I, I love the game. I love everything about it. But uh, I just knew that's not something I, I wanted to do for the next 15, 20 years. So um, I, I spoke to my to my guy. He said, come back to me with a business plan and and, and let's work from there. And I had a really great guy who, who, who mentored me through that process about talking everything about invoicing and, and, and relationships with, with partners and, and, and actually how to actually do the job. So... Uh, I'm a, I'm a very, very quick learner and uh, I learned a lot in, in a really short amount of time. And um, I had great support through the Spy Nation guys that, who were fantastic in terms of helping me set up and making sure I had all the pieces in place. Uh, was really, really important instead of just jumping in, starting a business and not knowing anything about um, the business world. Uh, it was uh, a, a big learning curve, but again, um, surrounding yourself with really good people that are, that are there to help you um, was a really important key for me. Yeah, great stuff. Now, Robin, you procure facilities management services from Indigenous suppliers on behalf of JLL's clients. So who are these clients and what's um, JLL's position on Indigenous supply chains? Sure, yeah. Um, JLL is definitely in a unique position in the market, I think. Um, you know, we conduct billions of dollars of procurement on behalf of our clients every year, um, and so do our competitors. So. Real estate businesses are in a unique position to act as intermediaries and advocates uh, on behalf of our clients and on behalf of diverse suppliers. Um, so for us, um, you know, we started on this journey five years ago um, and have built up a network of over 50 Indigenous uh, vendors that we regularly work with today um, and have a number of amazing clients. Um, you know, our federal government clients, our state government clients, um, ANZ Bank, Medibank, Australia Post, to name a few, uh, really working collaboratively, collaboratively with us to uh, push this agenda forward. Um, we recognised 
five years ago that we need to be ready to work with Indigenous businesses, um, but also that we had an opportunity to start sharing our objectives uh, in this space with, with clients who weren't yet on the journey of supplier diversity. Um, and that's sort of leveraging our unique position in the market there. Um, a key a key thing that we try to do at, at JLL is make sure that we're putting forward targets within our bids uh, to new clients so that we are demonstrating that we can really uh, move the needle on an Indigenous procurement. So when we're, when we're pitching work, we'll say, you know, we can achieve 10% Indigenous procurement across the portfolio, for example. And that sort of proactive approach really sort of, I guess, uh, charges, you know, hypercharges the, the program, which is fantastic. Um, for example, last year we spent, for the first time, over $100 million with Indigenous vendors, so achieved $116 million uh, with Supply Nation registered and certified businesses, uh, which is something that we're really proud of. But to be honest, it's because of the work that our amazing vendors like ARA Indigenous do, um, but then also the work we do with our clients that uh, give us the, the space to be able to really drive innovative relationships. So how do you ensure that all parties, both clients and the suppliers, are getting the best value from each other? Yeah, it's a fantastic question because, you know, at the end of the day, we still have to meet our savings targets. We still have to deliver on service and quality and all those commercial aspects which are, you know, crucial to our business model and, and crucial to our own reputation when we're delivering to clients. Um, so that, those things, I think, those elements are the baseline that we have to work from. Um, we won't work with Indigenous vendors that aren't delivering on those key metrics. Um, and what we found is that there are numerous Indigenous businesses out there that can deliver all those things. They can still deliver the savings targets. They can still deliver the quality, the innovation, the technology, um, the fantastic relationship building, all of those things. Um, so, you know, for us, commerciality is key. Um, and we found that there are plenty of Indigenous vendors out there that can work with us on those terms. And Laura, I'm curious, how do these efforts ultimately benefit Indigenous communities? Uh, we did a study quite a number of years ago around the social return on investment for Indigenous communities. Um, and on average, we found that for every dollar of revenue that was generated in a certified Indigenous business, about $4.41 of social return was generated. What we know from multiple other studies is, and, and what, we know, what we can see really from the, uh, you know, the businesses that are listed on our database is overwhelmingly Indigenous businesses employ more mob. And if we look across our database of businesses, the average employment rate for Indigenous employment sits at about 35% across the Indigenous businesses. And when you compare that to the non-Indigenous business sector that are probably sitting at about 1% or 2%, you can see that that's a really great game changer for Indigenous employment, which of course, you know, gives people autonomy and uh, gives uh, independence and, you know, is able to then generate money back into communities, you know, better education outcomes, better health outcomes, you know, there's multiple flow on effects. Um, you also heard Mick talk about the fact that he's a, uh, you know, a first time business owner in his family. And we see that a lot now across our, um, our sector. So you've got people like Mick and others, business owners, who are, um, who are role models for the community. Mick, have you got people banging at your door for your support and guidance? Oh, it's it's been amazing. Um, I think 
I've got actually got I've got a lot of family who work for me as well. I've got two brothers who I've just put on. Um, they've only been working for three months, but they already want to raise. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it, it is it, it's incredible. But to be able to as a business owner make decisions that who comes uh, and and who you align yourself and who comes into your business is incredible. Um, I grew up in Adelaide, and um, one of the great things about being a business owner. And, and having, I guess, the freedom to, to make decisions on how you can support community has been incredible. Um, I remember growing up and, and playing in football carnivals and basketball carnivals, but it was always, someone had to pay for that. So we're always waiting for funding to come from somewhere that we can all get all the kids together so then we can play sport at a carnival level with the other communities. Now I just make a decision and go, we're sponsoring this. Everyone gets a jersey, everyone gets a netball uniform. That's incredible, that is unheard of. And being a, a successful business, you're able to do that. We work extremely hard, um, but nothing makes uh, me more prouder to be able to do that. Um, and Laura's hit it on the head, um, as usual, uh, Laura, the, the, the spend that goes back in the community is, is four times. So um, amazing. Um, both brothers, one has been out of work for about six years. Um, I said, all right, I'm giving you a chance here, but um, you know, you're gonna have to prove yourself like everyone else does. And here's the opportunity. He's taken it with both hands. He's now an auditor for our business in South Australia. Um, he's great at relationships. He's great at what he does. And he just needed a cuddle. He needed someone to have some faith in him and show him how to do it the right way. And the world's his oyster now. So. Um, I wish I was lying about the raise. They did both bring that up, um, but is uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, your family, right? And Mick, what's your view on targets? Is that the right way to drive momentum? Oh, it's yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I, I've grown up on KPIs and and targets set by football coaches because that's the way it's done. And if you hit those targets, you generally get really good results. Um, but I'm always always talking with our clients to find out what they, they're looking for and what they're wanting. Um, I mentioned, someone said, oh, how many employees do you do you have and how many ab uh, are Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander? It's, it's quite an amazing one because I'm actually, mops and buckets, arms and legs are, are, are really great. I can always give someone a job there, but I'm, I'm really pushing our guys to go into leadership roles within our business. We've got a number of, uh, of of um, I guess examples, great examples of cleaners who mopping floors and, and vacuuming and, and whatnot and learning the trade and then also all of a sudden showing real resilience and commitment to the business, making them site supervisors. Then all of a sudden they're now running states and territories and um, it, it's been brilliant. Robin, just one for you, when you're procuring, how Indigenous does an Indigenous business need to be? I didn't really put that eloquently, John, but what, you know, what are sort of the checks? Sure. Um, so, I mean, JLL as an organisation doesn't have the capability, nor would it be appropriate for us to be checking the, in you know, how Indigenous a company is or how Indigenous a person is that is, is working in a company, for example, or, you know, their, their whole you know, their family history, all that kind of stuff. So that's why we rely on Supply Nation. Um, we don't work with we won't count a business as being Indigenous unless they are registered or certified with Supply Nation. So that's our ultimate um, benchmark um, and baseline from which we work. Um, and then after that, there's a whole bunch of other due diligence, standard due diligence processes and unique due diligence processes that, that we undertake 
um, to get a better sense of who the business is. So, um, you know, we want to understand, can I deliver on price and quality, for example, obviously. Um, but we also want to know more about the, you know, the programs they're running in community. I want to hear more about the uh, their employment practices, how they're delivering on, on the things they're talking about publicly um, to really get a sense of what makes that business tick. Um, and then so we can build that mutually beneficial relationship um, that we want to build that's built on respect and openness. Yeah, great. And Laura, what are the requirements for a business to be registered with Supply Nation? Yeah, so for a business to be registered through our processes, they must be a minimum 50% owned by Indigenous people. Um, so anything under that we don't we don't accept. Um, that is the the benchmark that is set by mainly by government. Supply Nation also has a second category we call our certified businesses, and those are businesses that are majority owned, controlled, and operated by Indigenous people. We also apply those same. Uh, criteria to incorporated joint ventures where we bring together Indigenous and um, non-Indigenous businesses, um, making sure that in those joint venture arrangements that the Indigenous uh, party has the appropriate level, at least 50% involvement in the business. There are some sectors in particular with high levels of subcontracting like facilities management or mining, for example. Um, they have the ability to really move the needle on their spend, but what's their responsibility other than spending? Like, is it being an ambassador or an advocate? Yeah, look, we, um, we, we certainly see that with some of our uh, members who are in the mining sector, for example, who really see it as an obligation to, where they've been working with Indigenous businesses for a long period of time to then be an advocate in the sector with other corporations and be talking about their journey and their story. I also think that uh, particularly for the corporate sector, there is a great opportunity to bring businesses in under their wing per se and uh, provide mentoring and capability um, building opportunities for those Indigenous businesses that are already in their supply chain. And we've seen some great examples of, of programs out of um, places like the United States where um, you know, corporations like EY or Accenture or IBM have got great supplier um, development programs that they put their suppliers through and then those suppliers wear as a badge of honour that they've come through the Accenture, um, you know, supplier development program, for example, that, you know, that they then use that as an advertising point to go out and say, look, I've done all this work with a great corporate who's helped me. Um, and so that's now setting me in really good stead to be able to service other clients. So we're starting to see more of that here in the Australian context. And I think where that differs from from the government sector per se is that they're probably more likely to be looking for you know a contract ready indigenous business okay who can do this work you know it's very process driven it's it's government procurement and and so the businesses have to be ready to go i think where the corporate sector plays a very different role is that there is ability to be more flexible in how they engage with indigenous businesses the ability to you know maybe better unbundle contracts to give businesses a shot and we've heard stories about a business who gets a you know an opportunity to work in one particular area. Um, uh, it was a national contract, let's say, but you know the contract. Oh, we'll let we'll let you work in Adelaide, for example. We'll let you see how you how you perform on that, and then if you do really well, we'll actually extend um, your contract to other locations. And that is about making sure that you're. Um, ensuring sustainability for that business you're not setting them up to fail and Mick has your business been able to benefit from that type of engagement from the corporate sector oh, I think as you can tell I'm a, I'm a 
I'm a little bit of a stickler for, for when I have these relationships that were really open and honest and, and really clear with our clients on what they're expecting and what they what we can deliver. As an Aboriginal um, business, we got a we got a we got this one opportunity to be actually when you get a, that opportunity to deliver on it, um, and it's really important. Um, because when you when you think about um, people's perceptions of, of Aboriginal people, all they ever hear about is the mad, bad, and sad of our people. Never really do they put these success stories on the front page of the paper. It's always the mad, bad, and sad. So, um, you know, having that in the in the in the front of my mind always is uh, the same way that I was a was a was a football player. And I, I'm so sorry about going back to my past. I sort of miss it, but I don't. Um, but it is. Literally, uh, it was drummed into me really early. Like some of the first conversations I've ever had with uh, my teammates, and I've been their only Aboriginal um, person that they've had a, a long, lengthy uh, conversation with in the in the locker room. And it's same within business here. I think um, you know, like we're trying to do these incredible things and help community and help people with employment opportunities. Um, I've got a I've got a business. It's my reputation. It's my business. The buck stops with me. So I've got to make sure that you know I can take on these challenges. That's a constant, um, I guess, conversation with clients, government, whoever it might be, that we can actually do the job. Awesome. All right. Well, I wish you every success in the future. Thank you very much, um, Laura. Thanks so much for your insights. You know, great to hear about the incredible work of of Supply Nation. And Robin, I'll see you around the office. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Thanks so much. Thank you for your time. Thank, Thank you, Rebecca. Hold on. Thank you.